This episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Nori. Feeling left out of carbon markets? Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman, so farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters. Visit nori.com growers. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture with me, Damian Mason. And I'm telling you what, we got a great topic today. We have on Rebecca Carlson and Giovanni Sornatelli from Nori. Nori came on board as a sponsor. And also, I am so excited about this because it's about carbon. You know, we recorded an episode, dear listener, about carbon a year and a half ago. And we've been hearing about carbon for several years now in ag, and I'm still trying to make uh, it all make sense because I hear about carbon programs. I know companies say they're going to pay you for carbon. Well, I don't know a lot about it, and I'm guessing you don't either. So that's why I'm excited. Nori came on as a sponsor of the podcast, but more importantly, they're going to tell us about the entire marketplace, the marketplace of carbon. And so in this episode, we're talking about the marketplace of carbon, and we're going to hear it from a farmer. we got a guy named Kyle Maiman. Kyle Maiman is an Iowa producer. Uh, he also has a trucking company and multiple other business entities that go along with the farm farming operation there in Plainfield, Iowa. And he's going to talk about what he sees happening in carbon from his vantage point as a customer slash business partner within the Nori marketplace system. So anyway, Kyle, thanks for being here. You bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, Gio and Rebecca, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us the knowledge and uh, being a part of the business of agriculture. And I know that you're going to get some activity out of this because my listeners are saying, hey, man, I remember you had Kelly Garrett on a year and a half ago and we talked about carbon. Where are we? What's going on? So I want you to tell us all of that. OK. All right. We'll do. Thanks Sounds for having good. us. Thank you. All right, Kyle, you uh, you're you're in your 40s. You've been around agriculture. You're a smart guy. You start hearing about carbon. Um, and you looked at this and said, I'll take money uh, to do some practice on my farm. Tell me how this happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, my, my, uh, my carbon journeys kind of started, uh, you know, first off, I'm super thankful that, you know, agriculture right now, we're in a, a wonderful place financially uh, as have had a net farm incomes as high as we've had in, in quite some time. But honestly, my journey started uh, a couple of years back when, when things weren't as rosy. And uh, so I gave a, a talk a while back ago and I had a, uh, my first slide just shows the market, the corn market. And I'm like, here's where my carbon journey kicked off. And I think corn was like 320 a bushel at the time. So really what we were looking to do at the time was say, okay, I'm sick of putting together break-even budgets all the time. If everything goes well, I hope that we can break even. What can, what is another revenue source or what can we do uh, that isn't going to cost us more money, but it's it's something that we can derive revenue from with uh, resources and, and and maybe some data that we already have in place. And so carbon we're obviously is beginning to be a buzzword. And so that's really when our, our research started. Uh, and so uh, really for us, it's, it's come out of a, a necessity. Uh, it's no different than, um, you know, exploring an additional business. If it's a trucking business or a elevator or whatever it may be, I was just looking to say, what, what, 
what business or revenue stream could I add to my operation that uh, doesn't have uh, an inherent uh, big infrastructure cost to add? Yeah. So you looked at it as a, re- a diversification of revenue. You know, I'm a small biz guy. I've been for 28 years. Um, Mrs. Mason and I were just talking about it here a few months ago, looking out over the horizon of the year 2022. And I said, you know what I'm excited about? I said, I have five different revenue streams, not counting just investments, uh, five different revenue streams. I said, you know what? That's really important because it took me a long time to get here because when one thing is a little bit off, I'm not stressing and pulling my hair out. I've got four other things that should be chugging along. If two things are off, I've still got three things that are chugging along, bringing in cash flow because as you know, and I know, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, revenue stream, revenue stream. So you looked at carbon as a revenue stream. Tell us about your operation because carbon is now a part of the revenue revenue stream at MBS Family Farms, but it wasn't a couple of years ago. So you got row crop farming. You got what else? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's it's funny. You, you mentioned the different revenue streams. Uh, so first off, uh, you know, we we have uh, we, we own not only farm in northeast Iowa, but we have uh, kind of a pod in uh, southern Minnesota as well that we consider, you know, kind of a diversification. We run a, a, a trucking business uh, where we commercial, commercially truck and then also have um, for, for our own own movement of, of products and goods uh, run a, a, a sea chemical fertilizer, uh, a retail business. Uh, we own a, an elevator that has a couple of locations where we take uh, take green in there, uh, not only for our own use, but for other uh, you know customers in the community. Um, we we run a small farm management agency that also sells crop insurance. So you can see there's a lot of a lot of different moving parts. But honestly, the last time that we were in the the economic boom of agriculture back, uh, you know, last time corn was six and seven bucks. Wait, 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 uh, I remember you sound like an old timer here, Kyle. Last I, I time know, I know. Just... I turned forty four on Friday, and I, I feel like I've you know I've I've aged I've aged a lot in the last twenty years. But uh, um, it was just from 06 to 013. So our last super cycle will ended less than ten years ago. We're recording this, dear listener, in April of 2022, just for reference. So um, we actually we actually went in a very short period. It's normally about 40, 30 to fifty years between booms, and now we're only uh, nine years between booms, right? Exactly. And I, I remember saying to my family, the last boom saying, man, we should get rid of all of these other these complimentary businesses. It's, it's drawing away from our focus on growing $7 corn. They're just an, a distraction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we were uh, going through our, starting our carbon journey, when corn was 320, we said, you know, we should stop growing corn because it's just a distraction from these uh, auxiliary businesses that are actually holding our, our operation together. So I guess the good news is, is this, it's really our way of diversifying the same way my grandfather diversified 50 years ago by having uh, chickens and pigs and, and uh, milk cows and everything. You know, that was his diversification play. And I, I see this as our you know, 21st century diversification. All right. So um, how did this come about? Uh, Gio, you are the person at Nori that sells the carbon to companies or entities. Tell us a little bit about how that works. And then we're going to have Rebecca tell us about how we find Kyle and how Kyle and Nori came together. Yeah, sure. Uh, From, you know, super high level, there's businesses out there in the world that realize that, you know, through their business activity, they're releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and they're contributing to climate change, which is obviously a huge conversation. And it leaves everybody asking what they can do to help. Um, we've gotten to the point now where, you know, every single scientific report is pointing to the fact that we need to remove carbon from the atmosphere in order to reverse these, uh, you know, detrimental effects that we're causing. So, 
Um, that's kind of where Nori comes in, right? Our mission is to reverse climate change by taking enough carbon out of the atmosphere in order to do so. That's the solution. Um, so by working by by working with farmers like Kyle and others who are actively sequestering carbon, taking it out of the atmosphere and storing it in their soil, um, we're able to measure you know how much that carbon is. We're able to sell that. Uh, by the ton in our marketplace. And we're able to provide that as a way for businesses to be able to purchase carbon removal or to, you know, in other words, reverse their emissions. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work on the ground to be done in terms of not putting the carbon in the atmosphere in the first place. Um, but Nori is focused on growing a carbon removal marketplace. And, and, and right now we make it easy for buyers to be able to, to fund this uh, regenerative future. Yeah. So one thing that's neat and, and a person listening to this heard in our intro, which is sponsored by you, that it's not a middleman. It's Nori is a marketplace. And so kind of expand upon that. So in other words, uh, Kyle's got acres and he's willing to change some practices and, and sequester more carbon, or maybe he's already done so, but he doesn't know how to sell them. He, he goes down to the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the local co-op, they don't know what the hell to do. And he goes and hangs, it, he needed to get a, a marketplace enter you tell me how how it comes together yep yeah so we're, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for farmer like farmers like kyle and, and rebecca can expand on this a little bit to be able to hear about nori enroll their acres get their measurements done and, and and put that carbon removal into the marketplace to sell um we make it super easy we let the farmer set their price and we act as essentially a direct sales arm for your uh, carbon sequestration efforts. Um, you know, the price that you set is the price that the buyers see. So if it's selling for $15, $20 a ton, whatever it is, you know, the buyer it, it rests assured that hundred percent of that listed price is going directly to the supplier. Um, and Nori's adding a fee on top of that on, on the buyer's end. So we try to make it as super clear, straightforward and transparent as we possibly can. Um, you know, and in doing so, we sometimes provide a little bit too much information that can actually confuse people, but we're really working on trying to, you know, fold this up into a nice package for everybody. It is. It can be confusing. That's why I got you on here. And I really appreciate you being so uh, transparent here, Rebecca. So did you were sitting in your office one day and your phone rings and it's Kyle. And he says, give me some money. Give me some carbon money. Well, tell me how this happened. Well, let's see. Okay. Well, it's a long process. So I'm pretty sure Kyle was here before I was at Nori to be honest, <laughs> maybe it was right when I started. So um, basically like when farmers come to us working with it, it's a really, it takes a lot of patience to get through, right? Like we we're kind of the first one in this new wave of carbon markets. So the learnings of what it actually takes to get the appropriate, you know, data through data, which we'd never own. We only use it to, to run um, the modeling that informs the carbon credits, but like that process takes time. So Kyle and I have been working for like, what, two years, basically, yeah. of, of what it took to get him into the process. And it was really getting his his data, uh, getting his data from Conservus, actually, uh, is like exported to us. And that like amount of information, we then had to like tweak and make sure that is this actually match what we did? We needed more data. So we have to ask a lot of questions with, with Kyle of what were your historic practices and filling that whole set of information out. And all of, all of those records fed into a model that we use to estimate how much more carbon that Kyle is putting into his soil based on these practices. And all right. So, so that began a, a while back. And we talk about data, you know, everybody's in about the data. The, uh, the big equipment companies are all about data collection. And now some of these farm operators are like, hey, wait a minute, 
Am I just being used? Everybody can like surveil me. Tell me what's happening here, Kyle. You 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 went it. You basically just said, "Go ahead and spy on me." Is that what you did? <laughs> well, uh, not 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 in so many words, but uh, I, I got to tell you, Damon, and this is not my, necessarily uh, a broad scale uh, a feeling, but it's certainly my feeling. If I was concerned, I, I'm really kind of over the data the data privacy thing. I, I mean, data privacy is important to me. I appreciate that companies like Nori are very forthright in saying exactly what their plan is to do with my data and why why and how they're going to use it. And there's, I mean, if if I had a, a dollar for every data um, agreement that I have signed, uh, I, I mean, I would have a few dollars. But my concern has 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 gotten to be less over time because honestly, if I was super concerned about what, what data companies were collecting on me and how they may use it against me, I'd never carry my cell phone around with me. I can guarantee you I'm going to get out on Facebook later on uh, this evening. And I'm going to hear about the, the business of agriculture podcast. It's going to be an ad that pops up because I'm talking about it right now. Right. Uh, if I was worried about the, the satellite spying on me, it's too late. The horse has left the barn. But uh, I guess I do appreciate the fact that it's uh, the you know, there is a there is a policy out there. I appreciate the fact I appreciate the fact that you think I pay for Facebook ads uh, for my (laughs) podcast. Uh, But, you know, we just we just rely on the fact that it's so damn good that we don't have to advertise. People just come here. Um, All right. So the point is. You've got to provide a certain amount of stuff. So the yeah. person listening to this right now, remember my, my listeners are hardworking, educated agricultural professionals. Some of them are farmers. Some of them have ties to the farm and work in industry, you know, whatever. And they're right now, because I'm, I'm always trying to think like them, they're driving in their car, listening to this right now. And they're going, what data? What do I got to give them? You yeah. know, kind of like you, they're saying, I, I, I'm not going to give you my child's social security number, but if you just want to know some of my practices, they have to turn it into NRCS anyhow to be compliant with a government program because they funded a drainage ditch. Sure. What what are you giving them? Yeah. So I think it's it's important to say, I mean, uh, step one, if you're if anybody that I talk to about, uh, you know, what's the first step that I should do in, in getting get, preparing myself to be involved in a carbon market? And my my number one answer is know what you have, get, get your information in order, because I can guarantee that I can be in a room full of farmers. And Damon, you'd say, Hey, who in this, who in this room has great data and 80, 90% of the room is going to raise their hand and say, you bet I do. And the real truth of the matter is, is that 5% of you actually do have data that's mineable, usable, and in a format in which it can be ingested into something like Nori's platform or, 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 you know, or anything else. And so the, the number one thing I would say is just get your, get your, get your life in order a bit, right? If you're a shoebox guy, get your stuff on a spreadsheet. If you're a spreadsheet guy, Get your stuff into maybe a system like a a, a conservice or a granular. Conservice has been a, a, a mainstay in our operation sure. for like ten years. But uh, that's the kind of data. And then the next thing is is that understand what data they're actually going to need. For years, we didn't collect any information about our tillage data because we're like, what for? What, what, what you know? We're not applying anything. What do we need to know our tillage data for? Right. Um, luckily, we we started uh, collecting it uh, four or five years ago. Because we're like, you know, at some point it's going to be, it may be important for us to understand this. And it also, it's just nice to know what we did a couple of years ago for, for different tillage practices. Well, all of a sudden that information is really useful when it comes to carbon markets. And we hadn't even envisioned that being a, being a useful item. Okay. By the way, did you catch that thing? 80% would raise their hand and say, we've got great. And he says 5%. It's got me thinking, I once read that 85% of humans believe they're above average. 
<laughs> All right. So uh, not everybody can be above average, James. Not everybody. <clears throat> I think half of us can be. I mean, I'm, I, but I, I'm striving. But I I'm, one day I hope to be average. I'm I just, I hope that I can hit that bar. I, I think statistically half of us can be above average, but I also cheated through stat class. Okay. Uh, <laughs> answer, me, answer me this, Rebecca. Um, you, uh, you want his information and it's going to be about tillage, et cetera. Does this go through a government agency? Does it have to be NRCS, USDA approved, or is just, here's what I've been doing. And then you say, okay, you, uh, you went to reduce tillage. You went to uh, more residue management stuff, uh, whatever, 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 whatever these things are. Is it a template? Are you just giving me a form where I check it off? Like when I go to the doctor and I put in there what drugs I'm on, or is this, uh, or is this custom this is- to every person? It's really detailed information. So we ask for a form for some like the historic information, like best management practices through like the 2000s, right? Nobody has records for that. You buy 200 pounds of fertilizer in fall, you till in spring, cool. Uh, But for the more recent years around that switch, we really go by like a field by field, year by year, like basis of, okay, in this year, what did you plant? When did you plant it? Great. What, how did you till? When did you plant till? And all of those like pieces of data feed into the most appropriate um, outcome of the model that we use. So it, it's, we have like an interface to soil metrics and soil metrics uses basically Comet Farm to power what the, the carbon quantification is. Um, but that spreadsheet is what we have. And we're simplifying that process over time, but we really want to start pretty tight on the data. So Rebecca, the person that's listening to this right now says, "Hey, you know what? I'm I'm all about diversification of revenue streams. I agree with you, Kyle. I mean, right? You know, seven dollar corn. I don't feel like I'm, but I, I just I also remember three dollar twenty cent corn. I'm looking for new revenue streams. Um, I shouldn't be intimidated, right? I shouldn't be intimidated that this is stealing my data or it's too much stuff. It's really, it's not that difficult. It's just more detailed, right?" Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think it's a deal. I, I've always been, uh, I'm not a very good learner unless I just jump in the deep end of the pool and figure out how to swim. Right. So, um, that's really where we started off with, with Nori and, and in full disclosure, um, I'm, I'm working with, uh, five different, uh, five different companies on, on, on carbon credits. And, bah, bah, bah. Did you not get the memo that Nori is my sponsor of my podcast? There's only <laughs> one company in the world that does this carbon thing, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, 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 I've been fully disclosed to, to, to Rebecca about this for a long time as well. So, um, but, but honestly, it was, the reason for that was nothing against any of the other companies I'm working with or nor either. I, I just, I don't know what I don't know. Right. Yeah. And so I've had, uh, um, you know, good, bad and ugly experiences with all of them and uh, have learned a tremendous amount. And it's really been helpful to us in our, you know, our next wave of effort to know, what information is needed when and and how to best how to best capture it. So it sounds like once you get through compiling the data and information, that's that's, that's some details, but it's not undoable because if you're a good if, if you're a good farming operation, you you have you know what the hell you're doing anyhow. So that part's fine. Now you just talked about the fact that you've been in contact with four other carbon outfits. Uh, Nori is a marketplace. They say, listen, man, you do this and, and all that. Aren't some of the other ones sort of coming to you and saying, here's what we're going to allow you to make? Isn't that? Because that's what I've heard from some of my farming connections. We're going to allow you to make a couple of dollars. And then really, it seems like they're making a big spread in the middle. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different models to this. And uh, and so this is a this is a very positive item that I will give for Nori is that I'm a I'm a capitalist. I'm a free market guy. I really like the idea they, they've uh, allowed a marketplace for me to, you know, see what my credits are, are truly worth in, in an open marketplace. 
I, I have other folks that I work with where they're just simply paying me for practices. Now, um, that is a, I think that's something that is less intensified for, you know, the information that I need to, to give them. It's a bit of an easy button, easier. I shouldn't say an easy button, easier button, maybe. But I also feel like I'm probably leaving some dollars on the table with those folks there. It's just, it depends where you want to be, right? There's, there's, uh, you kind of, it's, it, it's kind of pay for performance, right? Um, it, some things are more painful than others, but then I think that you probably get compensated accordingly. And, and it all depends on how you want to approach the market, right? Uh, if you just want an easy button and say, I get so many dollars an acre. Perfect. If you want to be more involved in a true marketplace like Nori, uh, there's an option for that too. And, and I, I'm, I'm a marketplace guy. I like marketplace. In fact, I like marketplace and I like capitalism so much that we're going to pause right now and take a little message from another company that I work with called Pattern Ag. Here's my friend Pattern Ag. And then we're going to come back and we're going to hear from our friend Kyle about pricing. A question for farmers and agricultural landowners. Have you ever lost yield to unexpected pest or disease? Well, of course you have, because every season you're forced to guess about some of the most important management decisions. But now you don't have to guess. Pattern Ag offers the most advanced soil analysis available today. In addition to a comprehensive nutrient analysis, like any soil sample survey is going to do for you, Pattern can predict next season's risk from the most damaging of pests and diseases, including corn rootworm, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome, and more. So for the first time ever, a single soil analysis can help you optimize your crop protection and fertility spend at a subfield, field, and operational level. Time to refine your management decisions. Time to optimize your inputs and maximize your yield. Simply go to www.pattern.ag and get started today. All right, so we're back and uh, pricing. That's kind of a big deal. Um, We want to know how you go about doing this. I wouldn't have any idea. You know what? I'd say if there's some company, if Geo has done a good job, he brings me, uh, uh, he brings me Elon Musk money who wants to offset carbon from all that uh, SpaceX thing. I say, great, I'll take your money, Elon. I would have no idea how much to ask for. How do you know? Nori has something called like a Nori metric unit or a Nori carbon ton or something like this. How, tell me all the pricing and measurement stuff. And I guess start with maybe geo because he has to sell it and then bring it back to the farm. Yeah. Well, actually let's, let's, let's flip it. Cause it actually starts with the farmer. Uh, we, we, we get the inventory first and then we, we go out and sell that inventory. That's how it started. Um, but yeah, we, we, we try to work with as many farmers as we can to get as much, you know, carbon removal on the shelf. They're called NRTs, Nori removal tons. So I one had, NRT. I was close. I oh, called it something. You were pretty like close. That. He had all those words there somewhere. (laughs) So one NRT is one ton of carbon that's been removed from the atmosphere and stored in a terrestrial reserve. In this case right now, it's soil. And that's what we're selling to our buyers. So when a buyer is coming to us and they say, okay, our footprint for 2020 was 500 tons and we want to pay for 500 tons of carbon removal, they're purchasing 500 NRTs from us. They're getting that in the form of a certificate and that certificate, uh, you know, has 500 NRTs that have been taken off of the shelf, have been retired permanently. So those can never be sold to anybody else, right? Those 500 tons of carbon removal are now yours forever, the buyer. Um, and you know, that comes ideally from farms like Kyle's. And so you, uh, you've got them sold and then there's a dollar amount. Now, 
That's the thing. You said that the farmer sets the price, but really does he? Because he doesn't know for sure. We've heard so much information about what it's worth. You guide yeah. him or tell him, hey, here's what the marketplace looks like. He said uh, mm-hmm. previously, he said that he likes the fact that who's given that money? Are you giving that price advice, Gio? I'm not giving the price advice. Um, the, the, what the farmer's doing is setting a floor price. We could technically go out and sell that for more um, than what the floor price is, but the the minimum amount that the farmer is going to get paid is the floor price that he or she sets, um, and that's what we're you know typically going going out with. We're going to try to go out with a little bit more if we can, um, but it really depends on on the deal and the conversation. Rebecca, did you advise or guide, did you revise or guide uh, our man Kyle on how to charge? Uh, No, mm -mm. I just said, this is what it's going at now. And to note on what, and Gio was saying, like, we can sell it for more. That just means that the farmer will get more. So like, for example, if, if they're like, I will not take less than $15, I'm like, Hey, we can try to sell it at $20. Awesome. That $20 will go to the farmer and not to us. We'll take, you're going to put, you're going to put the 15% on top Mm -hmm. of whatever you sell. Yes. And that's important to know. We talk in terms of the price of the NRT that's going to the farmer. So -hmm. if we're talking to a buyer and we're saying that we're selling it to you for $15, we're selling it to you for $20, we're selling it to you for $25, whatever it may be. Uh, we're talking about the price that is going directly to the farmer. That's what you're paying the farmer. Nori will add a 15% fee on top of any sale. And that's Nori's revenue stream right now. And that's what keeps our marketplace going so that we can you know, build the tech and all the interfaces and everything that goes into selling carbon credits for farmers. I think, we, I think we've addressed pricing, unless you tell me there's something that we need to cover, Kyle, beyond that, because then I want to get into measuring and quantifications. I have one more thing on pricing. So kind of like you're alluding to, it's kind of tough to be like, this is what it's worth. We don't really, nobody really knows what carbon is worth right now. Uh, and that's why like this later this year, we're launching our token. So right now car, a farmer gets paid in cash. Soon we'll have a token, which is basically like a digital asset that the farmer can hold on to. And it's a secondary marketplace to see what the true price discovery of carbon is. And therefore the carbon, the farmer themselves treats it like a commodity. Like, oh, I am watching the market price of this. I'm going to hold on to this token and then I'll sell it and trade it for cash when I deem the price is right. So having that as a, as a, what the actual driver for price discovery is, I think will be really important because like I was, we were talking about earlier of farmers get paid and then companies sell companies can have kind of a cheap out of addressing like their climate goals because it's really expensive to reduce emissions. And so like, Oh, if we can pay $15, $20 to, to kind of offset it, like that won't be as hard. Uh, but having actual price discovery will be like, we need to raise that price so that the reduction of emissions and the removal of emissions are equally yoked and people aren't getting kind of a free pass out and farmers are getting, you know, what it's worth. But that's our solution long-term to like what that true price discovery will look like. In the meantime, we say set the floor price, Geo tries to sell it for more. I have two just quick things on pricing and I, I know you want to want to move on, but I guess I w- what I would throw out is the idea that I, I like Nori's approach to this and the fact that our interests are aligned. I mean, they, uh, they are, have a, a good vested interest in me getting as much for these cre- credits as I would like as well. Mm-hmm. So that first off is, is good. The other uh, comment that I will get from, you know, constituents of mine different times will be that, um, you know, you're not getting enough for these, Kyle. I can't change my practices for, for what you're getting for these. And I, I say to them, I agree. You shouldn't change your practice. In my mind, you should not change your practices for this alone, it has to be beneficial to your operation in other ways, or because it, this doesn't pay for the practice change. 
necessarily. This is just a bonus on top if it makes good agronomic sense for you to change these practices at your operation. Yeah, so bingo, we, we, uh, we got to make sure making it work for the farmer is something that uh, Rebecca talked about that she said, you know, I want to always make sure when, when, you're, when we're talking about this that the landowner operator understands that we're going to make this work for that. Um, you, you can't jump through hoops and spend $40 on new practices to get seven fifty an acre. And I, and is that, a, is that a fair number? $7 of cents an acre. Is that a fair number, Kyle? Yeah, it, it depends on the uh, program, but uh, anywhere from that to, to 15, uh, it really all depends on 15 to, 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 I would say the high is probably 20 and the low, low mark is probably seven it, with okay. what I'm what I, with what I'm currently doing. Okay. So you got $7 corn. You're in Iowa. Uh, let's see. You can drive your truck down the road and throw some seed out and get 200 bushels an acre and that kind of ground. You know what I always say, Kyle, and you'll agree with this. The deeper the topsoil, the dumber the farmer. And you're, you're fairly well represent that, right? hundred <laughs> uh, so percent. Anyway, so anyway, let's face it. You're in a very good part. I'm kidding. Of course, dear listener. Um, uh, although I grew up, I grew up farming in the rocks and it makes you think, well, who's the dumb one here? Um, what, what you got is a chance to make a lot of money per acre. I mean, even with these input prices, you know, 230 bushel corn, uh, you know, at seven bucks, it's just there's some big numbers here. Can you fool around with a bunch of changes that are going to get you $10 an acre on carbon? And I know that things are fat this year. There's going to be another year at skinny. But like you said, maybe you're not even fooling around that much. Maybe you didn't make any wholesale changes. I'm not making the changes so that I get an opportunity to collect, collect a carbon payment. I'm making the changes because they make good sense for my operation and, and help me drive towards that 230, 40 bushel uh, mark and that they're the right thing for us to do uh, from a conservation standpoint, from a longevity standpoint, and from, you know, just an overall profitability standpoint. Uh, for me, carbon, and not everyone would necessarily agree with it, but as an income stream on my operation, carbon is a way for me to monetize my data. It's there. I mean, there is an ancillary factor here of, of reasons that I, I do this, but uh, but changing all of my practices just because I get to con- can't have an opportunity to collect a carbon payment is not is not the sole driving factor at all. It's a way for me to monetize the fact that I've kept good records. I have a question for you. You said that you're not changing your practices for or you wouldn't recommend changing your practices for something like this. What would it take? what would the price need to be for you to say, okay, it's worth for me to change my practices so that I can participate in a market like this? Yeah. So the, I've been asked this several times and <clears throat> this is probably a moving target over time, but it, I, I think that the thing has to approach $50 a ton mm-hmm. uh, for, for, to really, to drive uh, a, a very, very, very scalable action here. Now I'm not suggesting that it's not worth doing geo. I want to be very clear. Sure. You know, I, I want to be very clear with, with that because these practices that uh, we have implemented and change and changes that we have made are, are very bef- beneficial to our operation. I, I'm just saying that carbon isn't paying for it. Sure. As a, from strictly from a business standpoint, I completely understand where you're going, but yep. the, ideally, right. The goal for, you know, Nori, the goal for climate change as a whole is, you know, to make this as incentivizing as possible for our farmers who aren't practicing this way to say, okay, I can change my practices that are better for my bottom line. They're better for the planet. And they'll allow me to, you know, operate in, in a marketplace like Nori's, right. There are many other marketplaces. Um, That number's not perfected, but um, I I think somewhere in that neighborhood, you start to, you start to drive change specifically because of the ability to participate in carbon markets. Well, let's talk about the practices because you know what, Gio, and and remember, I'm not out there every, 
day. I, I, my farmland is rented out, but I've got the, you know, my hands are, my hands are somewhat dirty, not as dirty as uh, an everyday practice uh, guy. It probably depends on how many practices you're talking about changing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that cover crops are the way of the future because we've got $12,000 or more land and we're going to, we have people still going out and fall plowing it and letting it blow away. Uh, why would you do that? You, would you go out and plow up your 401k and let it blow away? No. So anyway, cover crops should make you obviously better for this thing. Cause then you're harnessing carbon more of the year Are carbon crop or cover crops, a requirement. Does, does Kyle, do you have, do you have to do cover crops? So we do cover crops, but it is not a requirement. It's one of the items that lead into the algorithm that that helps. Okay, it so, so you, that you are doing cover crops. Okay, no till, no, but not or on everything. Till, right? What's that? No till or reduced till. Yes, correct. Okay, so what additional practices would even pull more carbon out of the sky, Geo? As a question, I would have because, in other words, he's already. Uh, reduction of fossil fuel burnage, maybe? I'm just trying to think here. What yeah. else? What, what and else? I would turn around and I would send Rebecca a note saying, what uh, what other practices can you do to pull carbon out of the sky? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, and I'm just trying to think here. What what does he? What more would you do? What more would you do? So for, one thing that I want to be clear in my operation is because I'm not a 100% cover crop guy. I'm not a 100% no-till guy. I'm not a 100% reduced tillage. VRT fertilizer, whatever, you know, it's implementing those practices across more and more of my acres over time is what, you know, makes, makes me available. Okay. Um, Not everybody's like full stacked of pure carbon sequestration, right? So always something more to add. And the way I think about it is like, what drives more photosynthesis, right? That's the actual thing drawing carbon out of the atmosphere. So if you have more photosynthesis happening above ground and then not you know, messing up, mess like tilling up the soil, it'll go down there and stay. So expanding your crop rotations, um, more biomass accumulation, diversifying your, your rotations in that sense, adding in cover crops and not tilling are like the big ways of doing it, but there's always more ways to get more photosynthesis on the land. I'm guessing that when Geo has to sit down and talk to uh, uh, some company like we've used Shopify as our hypothetical example, because they've been a buyer of carbon through the Nori system, Somebody from Shopify says, hey, this is great. We, we believe in, in uh, you know, carbon sequestration as a means to uh, fixing some climatological issues. We're going to give some money to Kyle in Iowa. It's significant. You know, it's not $20. It's maybe 100000 whatever that number should be. And I'm not getting in your pocketbook. What's Kyle going to do with this money? Is it going to help the long-term environmental goals that we have here as a company, Geo? Because I want to know that this is actually going to do something good versus just me being extorted for some carbon money. Is that a question you get asked, Geo? Yeah, it is a question that I get asked. And, you know, we've asked a couple of pharmacists, Kyle, I'm not sure if we've sent this question your way, um, you know, but what what is it that you're doing with these funds? And, you know, most of the time, the answer is, along the lines of reinvesting it back into the operation, um, you know, and continuing with our long-term goal of improving our practices on the land, which, you know, in turn will continue to sequester more carbon from the atmosphere. But one of the cool things that you're doing with Nori as a buyer is you're investing in this model. You're investing in this machine that's allowing these farmers to be able to get paid to sequester carbon from the atmosphere to, as, you know, Kyle's saying, monetize their data to just start, 
the to, to, to start this machine that, you know, needs to be our future in terms of taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And if farmers are able to do that, the question then becomes, how do we scale it? And that's a matter of collecting data now. It's a matter of rewarding early adopters. It's a matter of proving to the world and to the farming community that this can be done. You can take carbon out of the atmosphere. You can improve your soil. You can improve your bottom line and you can help the planet. Um, so that's what Nori is doing right now. We're trying to put all the pieces together and those investments from buyers are, you know, one of the crucial, crucial pieces that allow us to do that. What are you doing with the money? Hey, Kyle, what are you doing with the money? <laughs> well, G, G wasn't wrong in saying that, you know, we invested back into our, our operation. And um, the thing about carbon over the last- Wait a minute, you're years, in Iowa. How much of it goes to bush light? That's probably the question. <laughs> well, that is a key component in growing a bushel of corn in Iowa. David. So yes, there is, there is a sliver of it that definitely goes to bush light. I mean, um, there's I'm not, not lying a bit in saying that, but you know, carbon for our operation has gotten to a point where uh, I always tell our, our team that, you know, a little number times a big number becomes a big number. And so as you scale this, um, this is a significant revenue stream for us and becomes as, as meaningful as any of our, you know, our other uh, business business operations. And so it makes it so that my operation can be sustainable during down times, but then also makes it so that I can implement the practices that may not have a direct correlation to uh, an instant ROI, but you know long-term that they're the right thing to do. It makes it so I can weather the storm of investing in those things early on to realize the benefit for my, even for my kids and for the next generation. Right. And so by that money coming into the operation, it just makes your entire, it's the whole thing around other revenue streams makes the entire operation more sustainable and makes it so that uh, you can continue to invest in those things that are long-term returns on your investment that are just hard to measure. Right. I, I guess I, I even, I, I'm gonna have a little deep thought here. Uh, all bush light joking aside. Um, you know, I've always been a soils guy. I was going to be an agronomist. I was all about the you know, T by 2000. If you're an old person listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. I was reading the soil survey maps when I was a teenager and all of this. But anyway, and you'd read about in third world countries where they're doing slash and burn. And you're like, my God, those soils after two years are completely depleted. All of the natural resources were the biomass that was above ground. Why are they doing this? And then, of course, you realize, you know, from economics, they're doing it because they're desperate. And so you're desperate and you do bad practices because you're desperate and then you never get ahead. I'm thinking big picture. If carbon payments make it so you can do better practices today, and again, some of that stuff that I am completely opposed to, like fall tillage of rolling prairie soils in a cold climate uh, because they can just blow away. If you can use that carbon money to do good practices, it's got it's almost like the the uh, the concept of uh, compounding interest because now yes. you it cushioned you in a bad year so that you didn't have to do something desperate or stupid and you could continue to do good practices that build upon one another. So it's it becomes that thing of it's like good health creates good health, you know, good habits create good habits. It's it's that's where I think this has got the real play because 20 years from now, when we're talking to Kyle, he's gonna say, Yeah, let me tell you about my soils, how they look now versus how they looked when I first started doing the carbon thing. And the the soil where it all begins, let's face it, is I think where the big benefit is long term. Does that sound reasonable? I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And and, and Rebecca is the is the the scientist uh, that that can give you the, the a better answer than I can. All right, Rebecca, give me the wrap up. 
Um, we've decided that this is all good. We, I think it grows. Where does this go? I think it grows. I think that we're going to get to where uh, this isn't just nascent. It's not just early adopters. And it's not just people like Kyle. It's a bunch of us that are out here in the carbon thing. Is that an accurate prediction? Yeah, I think my like dream vision of what this could look like is farmers aren't just making their agronomic decisions based on increasing their yield. They're making agronomic decisions for storing more carbon in their soil because there's an economic driver along with all of the crazy environmental benefits from from doing these practices. Uh, that that's actually going to be the driver, like you know, as they're talking through with their agronomists of what that actually takes to maximize their profit from from soil carbon alongside yield. I think there'll I think, still be some producers that uh, just like, you know, you still go to the auctions and they're in their bib overalls and they're talking about, uh, you know, 1970s crap and they're never going to be, they're not, not only, they're not even late adopters. They're just, they're, you know what, they're dinosaurs and they're going to need to get, they, they, we need to own their stuff. Uh, but but in the point is, I think it's going to appeal to a lot of us. Here's a question, Gio. Can you keep bringing in the money? If we keep bringing you acres, can you keep bringing the money or is this finite? Is it going to get to where after we get past the Shopify's and the and the blue sky dot com, they say, ah, we're not doing this unless it's forced. Yeah, I mean, there's two trillion tons of human uh, human put up their carbon into the atmosphere. I, I couldn't find a better word for that. I think they would probably, um, <laughs> I think they're probably not called human put up there. Yeah. I think they might call it like anthropo- anthropo- Humans have put 2 trillion tons of, uh, of carbon into the atmosphere since we started burning fossil fuels much more heavily at the dawn of the industrial revolution. So in terms of a, of a market cap, we got, a, we got a long ways to go. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, every company in the world, it seems, is coming out with dates which they're going to be carbon neutral or carbon negative or, you know, reach these climate goals by 2024, 2030, 2050, whatever it may be. You know, so there is a lot of uh, potential to tap into. There's a lot of companies in the world out there that are looking to do good with the amount of money that they are earning. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that are actually threatened by climate change. And, you know, if we don't do something about that, then that threatens their business in the future. So, you know, it's a long winded way of saying I don't think that we're going to have too much trouble growing the demand side of things. You know, ideally we're here so that we make it easier for suppliers to get paid. And then in turn, we create more suppliers of carbon removal. And in turn, we're taking more carbon out of the atmosphere. You know, that is, that is what we boil it down to. Closing thoughts, Kyle. The last thing I guess I, I didn't do a good job of mentioning before is that, you know, what, and what do we do with the dollars? Uh, what, and when I talk about this buffering our operation is that because implementing these practices isn't perfectly linear. <clears throat> and I can't stress that point enough. Uh, I mean, you don't instantly get a, uh, a benefit from implementing regenerate, uh, any given re- regenerative practice, practice. And over time, you're going to have to have continued bumps in the road. I'm going to give you an example. We've been implementing uh, cover crops for about 10 years now. And every year that you talk to me is a year that I've done more cover crops than the year before. But the past year, this past year, we had a, uh, a frost that came through on Memorial Day weekend. And every field that I had cover crops on froze 100% of the crop. If I had tilled the, the, the field and, and it was darker, it, it, it didn't freeze. And so any place I had cover crops this past year, I had to replant yeah. on Memorial Day. So that was detrimental, right? That was a bump in the road. That was not perfectly linear. In, and so I, I, I think it's, it's, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we suggest to folks that just implementing regenerative practices is a perfectly linear uh, uh, 
pathway to 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 better soil health and better yields and everything is is perfect all the way along that's why these payments and getting them boosted up to a point where they can easily pay for the practices and buffer this this for us is helps it so, so that we can survive bumps in the road like i just had this past year around around cover crops yeah but, but the other thing i would that i would close with is that um i told you i'm a capitalist i i i do think that this is an important thing but man Cover our carbon and the carbon industry are it's a reason that our our communities can agree on something for very, very different reasons. And the number one thing I tell friends of mine is, man, don't be a cynic of this industry. This is a positive thing. You don't have to believe in it for the same reasons that other folks may or may not. But, man, it's a good thing for all of us. And name one other item in our culture today that we can all agree on for different reasons. There aren't many. It's a good point. Uh, I, I think that that was a good way to wrap it up right there, that you know what, when environmentalists aren't opposed to agriculture, it's a good thing. When capitalists uh, like uh, Kyle can get money from uh, tech companies, that's a good thing. Uh, if people have more questions about this, where do they go, Rebecca? Uh, you can go to nori.com slash for gro- or no slash growers com slash growers n-o-r-i n-o-r-i.com kyle if anybody says you know what i want to get it straight from the the farmer's mouth how do they find you uh you can go on our facebook page mbs family farms and there's contact information galore there that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us his name is kyle mayman it's spelled m-e-h-m-e-n and kyle you come back on another year or two and tell me where the carbon journey has uh, taken you absolutely Fantastic. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate Noria being explanatory. And yes, they are a sponsor, full disclosure, but also I had them on because I think this is very educational. I think that this carbon thing is still wide open and we don't know for sure. And that's why I brought this to you, dear listener. Thanks for being here. Share this with a friend. Share this with a non-agricultural person that's hearing about the carbon markets because maybe they can now understand a little bit more than they did. And again, you can go to Noria, you can go and check out Kyle uh, Maiman and find out more. Till next time, thanks for being here. Thanks all you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. This episode of the Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Nori. If you're feeling left out of carbon markets, Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman, so farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com slash growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters. Visit nori.com slash growers.